Welcome to Didache, where we are studying to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth so we can worship God in spirit and truth, deepening our knowledge of God, thereby enabling us to deepen our love for God. Here is your host, Justin Peters. Welcome to the program, ladies and gentlemen. I hope that this finds you and yours doing well, and I want to thank you for joining me. We are continuing our series today into Santa Claus, a series I've entitled Santa Paul's, and we've been looking at some of the theological considerations uh, that we should have, we should of which we should be aware in dealing with Santa Claus when it comes to our kids. In the last program, we talked about 1 Corinthians 10 and how Paul warned uh, the believers there in Corinth not to eat of meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And it's not that the idols were anything. They were just pieces of wood and stone. But behind those idols, behind that pagan uh, worship, uh, pagan religious uh, ceremonies and system, are real spiritual forces. And those, in fact, are demons. So the idols themselves are not real, but there are spiritual forces behind them that are very real. Demonic forces in every false religion, of course, is demonically inspired. And so we were talking about some of those considerations. And today, I want us to talk about some um, some further considerations in dealing with Santa Claus. Now, uh, I may not make a whole lot of friends with this series, hopefully most of you who are listening to the listening to this program on a regular basis, uh, I think are tracking with me. In fact, I'm gonna I want to read some of the emails that I've received. Very very encouraging. But uh, in the world, of course, and and unfortunately in in most evangelical churches, most people who go to evangelical churches, uh, this series would not probably not be uh, very well received because it goes against the overwhelming overwhelming majority opinion and many if if you take a, a stand against Santa Claus many people will accuse you and me of being alarmist being overreactive being legalistic they will accuse us of being accusatory <laughs> uh they will accuse us of being arrogant of being self-righteous and uh I want you to know dear friends that these are definitely not my motives these are not my intentions certainly not trying to come across as legalistic or self-righteous, anything like that. Um, it wasn't until about six years ago that I really uh, thought through the issue of Santa Claus myself. So um, anyway, but here's some more considerations that I want us to uh, consider today. Uh, the first one, maybe kind of the elephant in the room here, lying, lying. Uh, we've heard this objection before, but uh, not really yet talked about it. Uh, dear friends, if we tell our children that Santa Claus is the, is a real person, are we not lying to them? Yeah, we are. Uh, I mean, you can you can wordsmith it all day long. You can uh, kick the can down the road if you want to, or kind of shuffle your feet, look down or whatever, but it's you can't get around it. If when we tell our children about Santa Claus, aside from all of his the the issue with his attributes, uh we are lying to our kids. Thou shalt not lie. That is the ninth commandment. 
And um, even though we would say that, uh, or most people would say that Santa is just, you know, it's just for children. It's just a fanciful time at once a year. It's, it's no big deal. Well, the reality is, is that you are lying to your kids. We are lying to them. Yes, all of us have lied. Uh, all of us have lied, yours truly included. And anyone who says that he has never lied is a liar because he lied in denying that he has lied. All of us have lied. What does the Bible say? Let God be true and most men liars? All men. Everybody, everybody, everybody has lied. All of us have lied. Um, the ninth commandment, thou shalt not lie, may be the most often broken of the Ten Commandments. Uh, it does not make it right, though. Just because it is broken a lot doesn't make it right. We are to busy ourselves in teaching our children the truth of God's Word, emphasis on truth, and we are to be living out that truth. And you cannot teach your children truth and live out truth when you knowingly engage um, in lying to them and you knowingly sin against them and God by lying to them. I, um, I, I vividly remember the day that my mom told my sister Kelly and I that there was no Santa Claus. I can see it in my mind's eye right now. We were sitting at our kitchen table in uh, what my parents had at the time were some ugly uh, yellow and green chairs, you know, 70s, uh, 70-era chairs, and uh, I can remember my mom looking down at the table uh, telling us that there was no such thing as Santa. It didn't really come as a surprise to me. Uh, I pretty much figured it out already. I had heard on, uh, either heard or read that there were six billion people in the world at the time. There were six billion. There's seven billion, give or take a few million now. Um, and, and I don't know exactly how big of a figure that was, exactly how many six billion, but I knew it was a lot. And I was pretty confident that it was just too many homes for Santa to visit all in one night. So I'd kind of figured it out already. So it was no shock to me, but I, I do remember my first thought. I remember when when my mom told us that, uh, my first thought was, they lied to us. My parents lied to us. And then I can also remember thinking, what about what they're telling me about God? And that really was my first thought. It really was my first thought. Now, I don't say this to in any way um, uh, disparage my parents because, you know, my my, my parents, well, my parents, my wife will tell you, are, are two of the most uh, kind and loving people that you would ever want to meet. I mean, they and they love my sister Kelly and me dearly. Of course, now they're grandparents, uh, so so they're uh, they're wonderful, wonderful people. And they had just kind of like me up until six years ago. They had just they had never thought through uh, the the theological implications of Santa Claus. But that was my first thought. They lied to us. Uh, what about what they're telling me about God? Um, they, my parents taught us, my sister and me, about Santa because they wanted us to have fun. Uh, they wanted it to be exciting on Christmas morning, and it was. Uh, it was fun, and it was exciting, but I still remember that was my first thought. Um, 
that they lied to us. And, dear friends, it's kind of ironic, is it not, that on the very day that we celebrate the incarnation, the God-man, Jesus Christ, who came to die on the cross and save us from sins, on that very day, we knowingly engage in sin. We knowingly engage in breaking the ninth commandment. Uh, the Bible says, lie not to one another. So, uh, you know, you, you may be, you may call it a white lie or whatever, but it's still a lie. What are white lies? They're, they're lies. I don't care what color you ascribe to them. They're still lies. So, um, that's, if, if nothing else, that would be enough. All right. I mean, if nothing else, that would be enough not to do Santa Claus. So that's one thing. Another, number two, our second consideration for today. Santa Claus distorts motives for right behavior. It distorts motives for right behavior. Children are on their best behavior in December, right? They're on their best behavior around Christmas. Why? Because Santa is watching. Santa is watching, and he knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness' sake. Santa knows. He's watching you. Knows if you've been sleeping. Knows if you're awake. Knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. Uh, don't be good because of God. Be good because Santa's watching. Don't be good because your mom and dad have given you commandments, kids. No, not because your parents are watching or because God is watching, but because Santa is watching. Uh, this teaches children that they should behave and be obedient to parents not because it is commanded by God, but because Santa might not bring them toys. And this cultivates an unbiblical motive for obedience. It does. Uh, children are only given one command in Scripture, and that is to obey their parents. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. That's the only commandment that, that the Bible gives to kids. Obey your parents. And by teaching them Santa Claus, we give them a false... Um, we distort their motive for obedience. We distort their motives for uh, for right behavior. Uh, the third consideration today is um, I want to go back briefly to the attributes. To the attributes. Now, I don't want to belabor that point because we've gone into that in a considerable detail. But um, just his just his um, um, physical appearance. Have you ever Have you ever noticed this? Santa looks an awful lot like Jesus, and not just the incommunicable attributes that we discussed a couple of days ago, a few days ago, but he physically, um, in in some ways, looks like Christ. Have you ever noticed how Santa is often shown wearing a crown of holly? You know, holly, these sharply pointed leaves that are kind of, um, I don't know what you call it, like, not plastic, but waxy kind of appearance, you know, these deep green leaves with the sharp little points and then they and they have the little red berries and Santa oftentimes is shown wearing a crown of, of holly. Uh, holly with these pointed leaves and red berries was known in Europe as the Christ thorn. Oh, the Christ thorn. And this Christ thorn, it was called that because holly was recognized as the archetypal reality of the crown of thorns. That's why it was called the Christ thorn. Jesus bore the crown of thorns, and yet Santa wears it too. And dear friends, that's just too close for my comfort. 
that's too close for my comfort. Uh, that Santa has God's attributes is likely the single biggest issue because its implications are so widespread. And remember from 1 Corinthians 10, even though the pagan gods are not real, the demons that lurk behind them are. In any phony impersonation of Christ that mimics him uh, or draws attention away from Christ has a very dark element about it. It is idolatry. Uh, Even without active purposeful worship, it is idolatry. And Paul warns his beloved Corinthian brothers, immature brothers though they were, he warns them, he says, flee. Flee from idolatry. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Just flee. And uh, there's a real danger lurking behind this uh, facade of innocence uh, of Santa Claus. And I I am not, I, I tell you, I don't like, for what it's worth, I don't like paintings of Jesus. I don't like watching movies about Jesus. I don't like seeing sculptures about Christ because that automatically puts an image in your mind. And there's there's a reason we're, we're not to make images. There's a reason God says do not make graven images um, because it puts an image in our minds of of the second person of the triune God that's not accurate. None of us know exactly what Jesus looked like. And um, any painting or sculpture that depicts him is automatically wrong. Even if it's done with the very best of intentions, it's, it's automatically off, you know. And, and so uh, um, there's a reason that Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago before cameras were invented. Uh, God in his sovereign decree ordained that. Uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm just, I'm not comfortable with that. I, I think it, uh, I think it not only borders on idolatry, I think it crosses that line and, um, violates God's command of not making any graven images. Uh, don't like watching movies about Jesus cause it, it's just, uh, any, any actor, if I was asked to be an actor, and I'm not an actor, but if, if I was asked to portray Jesus in a movie, how it be like, are you kidding? Me? Portray Christ. Any of us portray Christ in a movie. I'd be too scared to. How do you, how do you do that? Uh, in, in these, you know, these movies, Son of God and Jesus and all that that come out, I just, I have, ugh, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't stomach them. I don't like, I don't like them. Not even a little. All right. This, the next consideration. Training our children. Training our children. Dear friends, the church is in trouble. Uh, I tell people often that the church is safe because Jesus is her head and his plans and promises are irrevocable. But nonetheless, Christianity is on a steep decline. Steep decline. Uh, Recent studies show, uh, you may have heard me talk about this uh, when we did the uh, series on uh, uh, do not hinder them, childhood conversion, that somewhere in the neighborhood, 70% of kids who are raised in church and who make quote-unquote decisions at young ages and are baptized, once they grow up and they leave home, they are also leaving the church and they are not coming back. They are not coming back. Alarm bells have been sounding for decades. Uh, the Southern Baptists, which is the largest Protestant denomination in the United States, uh, is now uh, they're, they're for several years now actually have been seeing steep declines in the baptismal rates. 
uh, thinking that the church is somehow no longer relevant. Churches have begun to look more and more like the world to draw the world in. They have issued expository preaching for topical talks, discussions, you know, the Andy Stanley kind of uh, nonsense. Uh, We have invented a, a ministry of entertainment to people, and we have softened the gospel to make it more appealing, to make it less demanding. And most, not all, but most youth ministries are heavy on entertainment and emotional manipulation, but very light on the teaching of sound doctrine. We have raised generations of young people who claim to be Christians, but have no theological framework. They know the catchphrases, um, they know a little bit of the lingo, they've prayed the sinner's prayer, but there's been no transformation in their lives, no transformation. They can articulate on a very superficial level the basics of the gospel, very very basics, but they cannot articulate why they believe what they claim to believe. Uh, they have no ability to give a reason, to give an answer for the hope that is within them, per 1 Peter 3.15. Uh, and our churches bear their fair share of the blame for this, to be sure. But it's not all the church's fault. It's not all the church's fault. And men, I want to make my appeal to you here. Men, you and I are to be the spiritual leaders in our homes. If you are a believing father, and in all likelihood, if you're listening to this program, you are a believer. If you are a believing father, the responsibility to teach your family the word of God falls on your shoulders before it does anyone else's. It falls on your shoulders before it falls on the shoulders of the church. It falls on your shoulders before it falls on uh, the shoulders of any other institution. And most husbands and fathers think as long as uh, they take their families to church on Sunday morning, take the kids to Sunday school, make sure their teenagers are in the youth group, then that's being the spiritual leader. But man, that is not being the spiritual leader in the church, uh, in the home. In the home, it is not that's not being the spiritual leader. Being the spiritual leader in the home means that it is our responsibility to teach the Word of God to our wives and to our children. It's our responsibility to do that, not the Sunday school teacher. Um, I mean, it is, but that, but that that's not um, the Sunday school teacher should not be the primary source of biblical instruction for your kids, guys can't be the primary source of biblical instruction for your kids should be you should be you the primary source of biblical instruction for your wives should be you me we are to be teaching the word of god to our wives to our children and we are to be living it out before them we are to live lives of obedience before them why is it that we are not doing what Deuteronomy 6 tells us to do? Why is it that we are not teaching uh, these words of God to our, to our children and, and uh, as we sit in our house, when we, lo- when we walk along the road, when we lie down and when we rise up, as, as God says in Deuteronomy 6 and in Deuteronomy chapter 11? Why are we not doing this, man? Why is it that, that God is so rarely mentioned six days out of the week? And even on the seventh day, only for a couple hours. Uh, why is it that? Why is that? If, if we believe God to be as beautiful as he is, as magnificent as he is, as powerful as he is, as sovereign as he is, as involved in our lives as he is, and so all-encompassing as he is, 
then why is it that we so rarely speak of him? Why do we not take joy in discussing his magnanimity with other believers? Why do we not marvel at his goodness and and discuss the deep doctrines of his word? Why don't we do this? Might it be because we don't know enough about him to do it? We can talk about football all day long. We can talk about politics. We can talk about deer hunting. And I'm fine with all three of those things. I'm fairly well-versed in, in in all three of those things. But it's not my passion. It's not what It's not what consumes my thoughts every hour of every day. Um, by God's grace, it's not. Used to be, by the way, but it's not now. So we really need to have, we, we've got to reorient uh, our attention vertically, shift it from the horizontal to the vertical. Uh, and men, it's not enough for your kids just to see you live a moral life. It's not enough. It's good if you're a hard worker and you're honest and you, you pay your taxes and uh, you stay within the lines, you know, color within the lines and all that. That's that's good. Your parent, your kids need to see you do that, but that's not enough. Your children need you to teach them God's Word. They need that from you. You are equipped to do it. You are called by God to do it. You, you have His Word. You are indwelt by His Holy Spirit. God has designed you and me as the men in our homes to be the spiritual leaders. God has designed us to do that. And our last consideration today, for God's sake, for God's sake. Uh, A lot of people will see this whole discussion about Santa Claus as much ado about very little. Uh, What has already been presented should be reason enough to reconsider Santa. And as I said earlier, though, in the final analysis, uh, it does not matter what you and I think about Santa Claus. It really doesn't. What matters is what God thinks about him. What does God think about Santa? And knowing what God has said about himself, uh, I can honestly envision no circumstance in which God would look upon Santa with an approving anthropomorphic eye. Uh, God doesn't look upon him favorably. God's not even neutral on Santa. He's not neutral on him. We know he's not neutral on Santa. We know how he feels about Santa because we know how jealous he is for himself. And he will not tolerate anyone or anything claiming even a single one of his incommunicable attributes. Remember the second commandment. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything. And there he doesn't make an exception for Santa Claus. Our real motive for jettisoning Santa should not be a legalistic one. Our real motive should be one out of love for God. He has done so much for us. How could we ever approve of anything that shares in his glory? Dear friends, he is our Heavenly Father. He loves us and he gave himself up for us. We should obey him because we love him. We love him only because he is first loved us. All right, dear ones, we are out of time. Uh, We will continue our discussion tomorrow. And um, my book is out, by the way. It is out. You can go to my website, justinpeters.org, and uh, you should see something there on my homepage. You can click that. It'll take you to my little store page, and uh, you can buy 
uh, order one of my books. And uh, it's on Amazon, but it it's better for the ministry financially if you order it through my website. I don't understand how all that works between Amazon and Create Space and all that stuff, but uh, I, the ministry gets a about two and a half dollars more per book if you order it clicking on my website, which takes you to uh, the e-store as opposed to Amazon. Don't ask me why. I have no idea. So anyway, do not hinder them. It is out. All right, dear friends, thank you so much for joining me. Until our next time together, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to Didache. We hope that you were encouraged and edified by what you just heard. If you have a question or comment for Justin, or interested in more teaching resources, or would like to have him come and preach at your church or conference, you may contact him at justinpeters.org.